Amen. Thank you. Well, open your Bible, please, to Hebrews and chapter 11. It's the famous chapter in the Bible on faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Every month this year, I've been trying to bring one message, at least anyhow, every month on uh, aspects of God, getting to know God better. And I hope that that's one of the reasons why you come to church is to get to know God better. There's many reasons for coming to church, and all of them are good, I think. But um, getting to know our Heavenly Father, I think, ought to be up there on the top of the list, don't you? Uh, after all, the word church means house of the Lord, so it's his house. And so we ought to uh, learn as much as we can about uh, this God who made us and loved us and saved us and provides for us. And so um, we're going to sort of use this verse uh, 27, the end of the verse, if you look at it. This phrase here, seeing him who is invisible. Say that out loud with me, please. Seeing him who is invisible. And of course, the context is about Moses, who by faith he endured because by faith he was able to see him who is invisible. And so we're going to deal with that today. Let's begin with prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we ask now for special blessing that the Holy Spirit would be our Bible teacher in particular. And Lord, we pray that the Word of God would get a hold of our hearts and help us to, to realize how wonderful it is to know you and to be part of your family. If there be one here today, dear Lord, who has not yet uh, repented of personal sin and trusted Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. May today be that day. Lord, open the eyes of their understanding. Help them to see that they need a Savior and that uh, life is really only one breath away from eternity for any of us. And so, Lord, help us to, to uh, settle this matter of uh, our eternal destiny by uh, salvation through Jesus Christ today. Lord, help us to understand you a bit better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what is God like? Supposing that uh, one of us had uh, an opportunity to go to heaven and meet God, I mean in real person, and then be brought back to earth. Maybe one of the first things we'd ask them, him or her, is, well, what's God like? What's he like? What's he really like? We want to know what God is like. And that's a good question. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, children often ask their parents that question. Uh, who is God and what's God like? And that's a, a, a good question. I believe that um, there is an answer. Um, what I'm driving at is, say, for example, a man invents a robot. Now, most robots that you've seen um, on uh, YouTubes and maybe even in person. You know, these things tend to resemble human beings, don't they? They've got a body and a head and arms and legs. Now, I know there's all kinds of different types of robots. I understand a little bit about that. I'm not a robotic engineer by any stretch, but I understand that <clears throat> there's a lot of different, you know, functions done on big machinery and big business and all that's robotic stuff. I understand that. But in the mind of the, uh, the average layman out on the street, you talk about a robot and he's going to, you know, he's going to think about something that's maybe as big as him or bigger or a little smaller, but it's going to kind of look like him. And that, that makes sense, that the engineer would design the robot in likeness of himself. Does that make any sense? 
because that's what's been happening a lot. Back in the 50s, some of those crazy cornball kind of sci-fi early movies there, they pictured these metallic looking boxes with a head and a trunk and it was just some guy inside it, right? But uh, it gave the public this idea of robots. And robots are all over the place and they're, they're used all through industry. Uh, but the classic idea here is that the engineer patterns it after himself. Now, uh, for uh, those of you who are parents, you've given birth to a boy, a girl, or multiple boys and girls, um, you know that when uh, parents give birth to a baby, the baby tends to be patterned after the parents, right? Isn't that about right? And the baby will tend to reflect the... Uh, uh, facial features, the uh, skin color, you know, the body structure and so on. Now, I know there's exceptions to it. I know that. You know that too. But as a rule of thumb, the baby tends to be patterned after the parents. Uh, I believe we see that same principle in plant and animal life, that when uh, two trees get together and give birth, you know, to a sapling, the sapling grows up in the image of uh, its parent trees. Now that's kind of corny, but uh, you know, dogs get together and they make puppies and there's a similarity between the puppy and the parent, right? All we need to do, I think, is observe creation, the creation that God has made and it'll help us to understand the Creator. And so we want to see Him that is invisible. And how do you see an invisible God? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that we would take a look at his handiwork. And his handiwork will help us to understand him a bit more. I believe that God makes his presence known in creation. But listen to this. He reveals himself intimately in the Bible. You can't know God without the Bible. Turn back to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I want you to see this for yourself. Now, the Bible itself gives us this hypothesis, if you will. In chapter 1 of Romans and verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him, that's a reference to God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Watch this. Even his eternal power and Godhead. Now look at the last words. So that they are without excuse. Who is the they? The they are the unsaved. People who say, I don't believe God exists. Did you know that there are a number of, uh, of uh, so-called churches in the world? There's, I think, something like 60 of them. And they're atheist churches. And they're uh, spread around the world, sprinkled around the world. There's over 3,500 people that attend services at atheist churches uh, every Sunday. And they average maybe 60 to 80 people in every one of these churches. And they'll talk about everything except God. They'll talk about warm, fuzzy feelings and the nature and how wonderful it is to know each other. But they won't talk about God because God is despised. God is rejected. There is no place for God in the atheist church. That's something. These people are without an excuse. Um, evolutionists who reject God are without an excuse. Uh, the nice man who lives across the street from where you live, but he's not saved, he is without an excuse. 
No human has an excuse to stand before God one day at the great white throne judgment and say, but God, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I had to repent. If man will act on the light that he has, God will give him more light. If this room was as dark as dark could be and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, you didn't know which way to go and all of a sudden there was a tiny little pinhole of light, you'd want to move toward that pinhole of light. We actually have a pinhole of light in this door over here. And at um, a certain time of the day when it's, all the lights are off and it's dark and the sun is just right, there's this little beam of light that comes through that pinhole. And I'm not quite sure where the pinhole is, but I look at that every once in a while and I think, boy, that illustrates this biblical truth that if man will act upon the light he has, God will give him more light. And that's why we have true stories of people being saved all over the world who've never heard the gospel, but yet they've they said, God, I know you're out there somewhere. Show me, show me. And what God is doing is answering that prayer by sending a missionary. People get saved one and one way only, and that's through Jesus Christ. There are no two ways to get to heaven. Well, what about the poor guy, you know, and he's never heard, and surely God will let him into heaven? No, he won't. Not if he doesn't come through Jesus Christ. And God made sure of it. God has put into every single human being what you see right here in verse 20. That the uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So when man looks at creation... He knows there's a creator. But if he rejects that, then God is under no obligation to reveal more truth to him. But if he looks at creation, he says, there has to be a creator. Then God will say, that's right. And will reveal more truth to him and more truth until he knows what he needs to do to be saved. You know, it's really sad when someone can come to a church, maybe a church like this, and hear the gospel preached and go out unsaved and come back maybe the next Sunday and hear the gospel preached again and then go home and do nothing about it. And then come back the next week and hear the gospel over and over. And repeatedly hear invitations to repent of your sin and trust Christ. He's the only one. And it's still, well, I'm st you know, God wouldn't throw someone like me into hell. It's still a rejection. It's still sidestepping the issue. Unless you truly believe that your sin will land you in the pit of hell for eternity, you cannot be saved. As long as you think, ah, oh, there's a glimmer of hope for me. I'm not so bad. I'm not a murderer or anything like that. Well, I dare say God would have a good argument with you. You may have never pulled the trigger. You may have never put the poison in someone's drink when they weren't looking. But you've probably had some pretty hard thoughts towards someone in your life. You've probably had some pretty miserable thoughts. And that, according to Jesus, means you've committed murder in your heart. The Bible is very, very specific, very true. That's why the Bible could not have been an invention of man, because it's so true and it tells us plainly what the truth is. And so we find here that uh, even the invisible things of God can be understood by the things that are made. Now I want to suggest to you that perhaps, maybe, just perhaps, all of the physical properties of our universe are visible expressions of what God is. Maybe we'll learn more about that in eternity. But I think that uh, things that are made definitely help us understand the invisible things of God, even His eternal power and Godhead. That means what? He's the Creator. When you start realizing His eternal power and Godhead, right away the light goes on Say, God is the Creator. Evolution is not the Creator. God is the Creator. 
Boy, that'll take you someplace. Abraham Lincoln, that famous U.S. president, Abraham Lincoln, his pictures on the penny, right? Abraham Lincoln, he once said, I can understand how if a man were to look down at the earth, how he might not believe in God. But I can't understand if a man were to look up into the heavens and sky, how he cannot but believe in God. That's pretty smart if you ask me. Too many people have their eyes down in this world. They're not looking at the evidences that God has given them. They're not looking enough, at least something like that. God has made far too many things, uh, observable things in the universe for us to talk about in this one sermon. But I'm going to pick two or three I'm going to share with you today. Two or three things. Uh, but of course, we'll need the Bible to help interpret these things. We can look at the things in the created universe. We can look at them, but we need the Bible to interpret them for us. Does that make sense? Now, let's begin with one that I think you may be familiar with, and I'd like to invite you to Genesis. Would you go back there with me, please, to Genesis? Go back to chapter 1, would you? Chapter 1. Now, that's easy for everyone to find, even if you didn't bring a Bible today, even if you don't read your Bible. You know where Genesis is. Genesis chapter 1. Of course, verse 1, in the beginning, God created what? Tell me. The heaven and the earth, right. Now watch this. And the earth was without form and void. That's very interesting. The Hebrew is hoshech, and it means a confusing mess, a jumbled darkness. That's what it means. You say, well, why would God do that? I thought that everything God made was perfect. God began it that way, I think, to show us that the, the, the universe in its natural state is in a state of mess and confusion and darkness. Now watch verse 3. God said, let there be what? Light. Are you sure about that? Are you sure that's what it says? Yep. Okay. Last chance to change your mind. All right. Good. Well, that's what the Bible says. Let there be light. And what happened? There was, there was light. Now, what does light do to darkness? It disperses darkness, doesn't it? Hooray. There's something that can deal with darkness. Light disperses darkness. Light reveals now, I'll tell you something. The greatest minds on earth do not fully understand light. There are some really, really smart, smart men and women that have several doctor degrees after their name in physics and all kinds of properties and so on. And they know a lot about light, but they do not know everything about light. And they'll admit it too. Same with electricity. I read something just a few days ago. It was written back in the 1930s about electricity. Now, electricity was still on the cutting edge. It was still a little on the new side in, back in the 1930s. And this man who was writing a book on prayer, uh, and I was reading his book, he made mention that um, man, uh, men still don't understand electricity. They still don't understand all there is to know. They still don't know what's behind electricity. They, they can see the visible results of electricity, but they don't understand what is this invisible, mysterious power behind it. Now, in almost a hundred years of technological zoom to the moon, man still doesn't know. I looked it up. I checked. Man still does not know what the real force behind electricity is. 
but I do. And I bet you if you thought about it, you do too. Is God. God is the force, the invisible force that unsaved man does not see, does not know, does not recognize, doesn't understand. And here we see that God said, let there be light, and there was light. They say that light is a radiant energy, a series of wave formations, microscopic in size, caused by a source of energy. There's that energy again. They say that light waves travel at approximately 186,000 miles per second. They call it the speed of light. The eyeball is the only device that makes light meaningful to people. Now, I'm not talking about the heat off the sun. Oh, I feel the heat. Yes, you do. But I'm talking about the light. The eyeball is the only device that makes light worthwhile to people. Without your sight, light is of no value whatsoever. Correct? Yeah. It was Darwin himself who said that he figured he had um, evolutionary explanations for every other part of the body except the eyeball. The more he studied the eyeball, the more he was confounded and confused. And he says, I, I just don't understand it. I, I can't understand how that could have evolved. Interesting, isn't it? Well, we got news from Mr. Darwin. It did not evolve. The God who gave the light made the eyeball. Now, in Matthew 6:22, it tells us the light of the body is the eye. So right away, it gives us truth. We're interpreting. Proverbs 15:30 says, "The light of the eyes rejoice the heart." Again, this confirms the truth that the eyeball is the only device that makes light meaningful to people. Light is so complicated a subject that man will never fully understand it. I don't know how they, they do this uh, fiber optics. You know fiber optics? How many have heard of fiber optics? At least you've heard it, heard of it, heard of it. Raise your hand. Okay. How many know all what it's about? How many know something of it? You know, something of it. Okay, that's not many of us. I don't understand how they can do this. I've seen it. I got it in my home with uh, the uh, TELUS. Uh, I've got fiber optics. And it's this skinny little see-through tube. Apparently it's glass, they tell me. And uh, it has these gentle bends for the corner. But in that is all my internet. I haven't a clue. To be honest with you, I haven't studied it. I'm not too interested, but I haven't a clue as to how that can possibly work. But it does. Isn't that amazing? Not amazing that I don't understand it. That, that's normal. You should know that. Um, in Job 38:19, it says, where is, where is the way where light dwelleth? Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? See, the Bible is telling us here. It's assuring us here that we don't know. There are things about light we don't know. Now, John chapter 8, verse 12. I'd like you to go there. John chapter 8, verse 12. And I'd like you to see something. And this should bring it all together for you. This should tie it all up. John chapter 8, verse number 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus, uh, sorry, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, now say it out loud with me, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, 
He's the light. I believe that's a literal truth that he's saying. I don't think that he's speaking so much metaphorically. I believe that that's an actual literal truth because in Revelation 21:23 we're told there's no more need for the sun because the lamb is the light thereof. How about that? You join those scriptures together and that tells you a powerful truth. When you consider light, 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 it tells you something about God. Now, light, of course, speaks of his purity and his truthfulness. Of course, absolutely. Now, we're not going to go back to Genesis, but I want to give you a little seed to plant in your soil here. I want you to think about something. We just read where Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. But God didn't create the sun until the fourth day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, so where did the light come from on day one? when God said, let there be light. Where'd that light come from? Can you guess? It came from Him. He is the light. He is the light. Wow, we can learn a lot about light. We see here that uh, John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light. We learn that uh, when God said, let there be light, light came from Him. We can put them together and we know Jesus is God. We can determine that Jesus Christ is God of very God. Just from looking at that, God is light. First John chapter 1 and verse uh, 5, I believe, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The light teaches us something about God. It teaches us about the truthfulness and the purity of God. And that's why when it says in Revelation 21 and verse 8 that God is going to cast all liars into hell, lying Lying is a violation of truth, isn't it? That's what a lie is. It's a violation of truth. Now, we got, uh, we got some people here that know something about insurance. And the truth is, if you make a claim on your insurance and you lie on any point, they have the legal right to dismiss the whole claim. Because once you introduce one lie, then who's to say you haven't introduced two? In a court of law, you get up to give witness of what you saw. If they can catch you in one lie, what happens to all your goodness, all your testimony, all what you have to say, you are dismissed. That's why God is going to throw liars into the pit of hell. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever told a lie in your life? How many have told more than one lie in their life? Raise your hand. Okay, now if you haven't raised your hand just now... <clears throat> We're not calling you a liar, but it's not our job. You know, it only takes one lie. It only takes one lie to get someone into hell. That's why you need a Savior. That's why if you're here and you don't really honestly believe that you deserve to go to hell, that's why you're not going to get saved. You need to understand what God is saying. The seriousness of sin the seriousness of one lie. You see, if God were to let in a person with only one sin, he's only ever done one sin, and that was tell a lie. If God were to let that one person into heaven, it would destroy heaven. That's what happens. Destroys heaven. You want your food you eat and the, the drink you drink to be pure. You want a drink of water. You don't want it filled with all kinds of radiant, but what do they call that? From the radioactive uh, 
the distillery, radioactive stuff. You don't want to drink that stuff. You don't want that in your body. You don't want heavy metals in your body either. Although it seems like they're in trace amounts in our water supply. In some places, it's even worse. There are parts of the world where if you drink the water, you die, right? You don't want to drink water like that. Well, supposing we offered you a glass of water as pure, as pure, as pure could be. All we did was we took the tiniest grain of poop from an animal, a dog or something, and we put it in the water, stirred it up for you. There you go, my friend. Well, if you were dying, you might have to drink it. But otherwise, you'd say, no, thank you. I don't want that. Even if it, well, come on, it's only one grain. I don't care if it's one grain. I don't want it. I want my water pure. God wants his heaven pure. And God himself is pure and truthful. That's why when God tells you something, you can believe it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, does that mean me? Well, what did I just say? Well, you said all have sinned. Yeah, I know you said all have sinned, God, but I mean, does that include me? Am I one of the all? What have I said? All have sinned. Yeah, I see that. All have sinned. Am I one of the all, God? You see where this discussion is going? Not very far. Until we believe what God has written, all have sinned. Oh, and come short of the glory of God, right? That all, that includes me. Now I can be saved because I realize that I'm lost and I'm on my way to hell. Now I can be saved. But anyhow, we're looking quickly here at a couple, of, a couple of things in the physical universe that teach us about God. And the first thing is light. The second thing is found in Hebrews. If you go back to Hebrews, please. By the way, we're having the most wonderful study on the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights. So, what do you think? You know, watch TV on Wednesday or you want to come to God's house and study God's Word on, on Wednesday. Now, I know if you're working, you can't come. I know that. I know if you're sick, you can't come. I realize if you die, you can't come. I understand those things. But a lot of us could come, you know. I praise the Lord for those who do. And we do have many that come on Wednesdays. Now, Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I'd like you to look at verse... Let me see here if I can find it. There it is, verse 29. Verse 29, read that out loud with me, please, all together. For our God is a consuming fire. Not only is God light, we've learned that. God is light, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. But here, God is fire. Isn't that interesting? Fire. We want to know something about God? Let's look at what he's created. That'll tell us something about him. We just looked at light. That speaks of truthfulness. It, it scatters the darkness. Purity. Well, that's God. Now we look at fire is the next one. Fire is that bright flame produced by combustion. Now for all of you firemen and firewomen and pyromaniacs, uh, let me share what I've learned that when oxygen is rapidly combined with uh, the gas of a burnable material, you get combustion. And friction will release the gas. And a match, if you've ever struck a match, and we take it for granted, right? We want to light the barbecue, so we strike a match. Let the gas go for about 60 seconds, right? Build up a good head of steam and then light. Have you ever done that? How many have burned their eyebrows off on a, trying to light a barbecue? I have. And boy, there's not enough time to get out of the way. When, uh, when that gas builds up, you know, and you're talking to your loved ones, and it's, shh, oh, I better light this thing. Could be your last words. So you strike this thing, the, uh, the roughness there that you strike the match on, that's part one, and then there are three parts in the actual match. 
there's a sulfur and glass powder, there's an oxidizing agent, and then there's the wood of the match. Anyhow, when you get these things together in the right combination, you have liftoff, you have combustion, you have flame. Now, oxygen that combines with a burnable material is said to oxide. When oxygen and metal come together, it oxides, and we call that what? Rust, right? You are. Now, in Matthew 6:19, Jesus says that we're to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt. How many here have a car? You got a car, an automobile? Yeah? Some of you have nice cars. Some of you have new cars. Some of you have old jalopies. It doesn't matter if you've got an old clunker or you've got a brand new clunker. You know, it doesn't matter. They're going to rust, aren't they? They're going to rust. Unless it's made of some kind of super alloy, you know, everything that's not going to rust. But chances are, you don't own a car like that. Uh, you own a regular car, a normal car, that doesn't start when you want it to. That gets a flat tire when you're on your way to someplace. That's the kind of car you own. And the, the gas gauge, you know, when you're in a hurry, you know, oh, no, sort of thing. That's the kind of car you and I own. And these cars rust. Things that are made of metal tend to rust, unless they're specially coated or a special kind of metal, but generally they rust. And Jesus says, don't waste your time laying up your treasures on earth where moth and rust get in there and eat them up or rust it out. You know, lay up your treasures in heaven. Uh, in 2 Peter 3.10, we're told that in the end of times, God is going to cause fervent heat. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's what it says. Now, in Hebrews 12, 29, where it says, God is a consuming fire. You know, it's easy. When we learn that, we learn it's easy for God to rain fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. It's easy. Why? Because, you see, God is a consuming fire. We learn something about God. Well, what does that mean? It speaks of His holiness, folks. It speaks of His justice. It means that, yes, one day, payday's coming for some people. And if you're saved and you're living for the Lord, yes, your payday's coming. And if you're lost and you're living for the world, the flesh, and maybe even the devil, who knows, your payday's coming too. God is no... He, he is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We read about some horrible crimes going on in the news and some of them that go undetected for many years and then DNA, they finally find them. They got this creep down in California. He's an old geezer. And uh, he've, he's now uh, been linked with a series of murders from back uh, in the 1970s and so on. And uh, they finally caught up with the guy. And it was DNA, modern DNA that did it. And now they're going after everyone they possibly can with uh, DNA to try and link all these unsaved crimes to these uh, people walking around. Now you say, well, what about these, uh, these uh, criminals who commit all of these horrors and then they die? Oh, missed that one. Well, you and I might have, but God hasn't. You know what? That guy who committed all those crimes and he dies, He's all of a sudden lift up his eyes in hell. In hell of all places. The very hell, he said, doesn't exist. The very hell, the word of which he, he used a million times in his speech in a derogatory fashion. Hell is a place you'd never want to wish on your worst enemy. 
Hell is a real place. Hell is a place where God is absent and there is every uh, human passion available and they will never be satisfied. Hell is a place of flame and fire and torment and agony. Hell is a place where people remember back on earth their family and loved ones and have regrets and cry out, uh, don't come to this place. Hell is a real place and it lasts forever and ever and ever. We have religions around the world and some of them don't teach that hell is real. We have other religions that teach that hell is real, but you'll only be in it a short time. God will take you from this world and the bad things you do. He'll throw you in hell for six months or maybe a year or two years or who knows, but a short time and then it's over. Then he'll put you back on earth and you'll be reincarnated. And then you'll come back as maybe another person or maybe you'll have to come back as an animal. If you didn't do so good in your former life, you come back as an animal. And if you're not a very good animal, then you'll come back as an insect. And people are taught that and people believe that and people are going out into eternity. They're dying with this thought that, hey, uh, it doesn't matter. I, I, I'll just come back as a dog. I'll do better in my next life. That is a horrible lie out of the pit of hell there really is a hell God tells us all about it did you know that when Jesus was on earth he preached and he preached more about hell than he ever did about heaven did you know that meek and mild loving Jesus preached more on the subject of hell than he ever did on the subject of heaven now that ought to tell us something Oh, beloved, make sure, make sure, make sure. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Make sure there's a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and trusted Christ and you've been born again. And you have a new life to prove it. A lot of people pray the sinner's prayer, but nothing happens. And so then they go on in ignorance thinking, oh, I must be all right. I'm going to go to heaven because I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've taken communion. I've been baptized. I joined the church. I've given my money in the offering. Uh, certainly I'm okay. God will accept me. And they're in for a huge surprise. Jesus himself said that in that day, many shall say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done uh, cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work. Do you know the next word? Iniquity. Work done. Christian work done without Christ is iniquity. Imagine that. Imagine that. That means that there's going to be people in hell who put money in the offering plate. Say, well, how can that be a crime? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure myself. I just, by faith, trust that what God said is true. And somehow God is saying that he's not interested in the offerings of the wicked. So we see that God is a consuming fire and it speaks of his holiness. It speaks of his justice. Now we have to finish up here quickly and I'd, I'd like to show you one more. There's a few more I could show you, but we don't have time. But I want to show you one more. And I'd like for this for you to go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now, what are we doing today? We're trying to learn more about God, the God who loves us, the God who sent his son to die for our sins on the cross. This same loving, wonderful God, we're trying to learn more about him by looking at a few of his creations. One of them is light. God is light. God is pure and God is truthful. Whatever God tells you, you can believe it. But God is also a consuming fire. 
That means he's a holy God, not to be trifled with. You've heard of the fear of the Lord? Well, that's something a lot of us have to brush up on. He is a just God, and he will not let sin go unpunished. But here, number three, John chapter three, let's look at the words of Jesus himself, verses seven and eight. Follow along here, please. Jesus speaking to a man, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, and he says in verse seven, marvel not, that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now pause a moment. Here, who's he talking to? He's talking to one of the religious leaders. This guy was actually not such a bad guy by our standards. He was a nice fellow. Uh, he was, seemed to be honest guy, uh, hardworking at his job. He seemed to care. He seemed to have some kind of study of the scriptures. And he recognized that Jesus was different than anything he'd ever seen before. And so he came by night. He didn't want people to know. And so his question was to him in verse 2, he says, uh, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. See that? For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus went right into it and told him exactly what he needed to know. And he said in verse 3, <laughs> except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is the truth. Remember, we can believe him when he, whatever he tells us. So now down in verse 7, he says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We're talking about wind. What is wind? It's the movement of the air. We've got fans in the ceiling. We've got fans. These are the only fans I have, by the way. If you ever ask me, hey, do you have, Pastor, do you have any fans? Yeah, I got a couple up on the platform and I got a couple in the ceiling. That's as far as my fans go. <laughs> I don't have any fans on Facebook. I don't have any fans anywhere. This is it, folks. And so um, anyhow, wind is the movement of air. And here, the Lord Jesus talks about wind. And you see what he says at the end of the verse. Verse 8, he says, uh, So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. The word spirit literally means a breath or a wind. Jesus is teaching us something about God. Wind, that movement of air, it's like a breath, a holy breath, if you will. Uh, it's a reference to himself. Now, what happens when it starts to blow? Well, it can cool you off. What happens if it starts to really blow? Well, it'll blow all the leaves out of the tree. It'll blow all the leaves from my lawn into my neighbor's lawn. Well, then why do you still have leaves in your lawn? Oh, it's because the wind blew my neighbor's my other neighbors leaves into my yard. So uh, wind, and if it blows even more, what'll happen? Well, it can start to lift things. Roofs have been known to lift off houses because of wind. I tell you, wind has been known to move whole houses. The wind can get so strong when you get up around 180 mile an hour, and I'm not sure how many kilometers that is, a million maybe, <laughs> probably not, but uh, the wind can blow your house down. It'll huff and it'll puff. And it'll blow your house down. It really will. The wind is so powerful, it'll move great big transport trucks. You've seen these uh, big uh, twisters? 
and the power that those things have. And when one comes, people run. And they run for shelter because you cannot stand against one of those. And it'll pick up anything in its way. It'll devastate through buildings. If it gets out on the water, ships are in trouble. Uh, wind is incredibly powerful. And that's something we learn about God, is the power of God. You talk to a sailor who's had some experience years at sea and crossing the Atlantic, crossing the Pacific. And by the way, the word Pacific means peaceful. I don't know why they call it that, because boy, there can be some great storms out on the Pacific, but that's what Pacific means. Like pacify, peaceful, that's what Pacific means. Um, but you get into a ship out in the middle of the ocean, and when the wind starts picking up, you can have waves that'll come crashing over top of the ship. And we're talking huge ships. Even these great big cruise ships have been thrown, battered about uh, by these uh, waves at sea caused by wind. Say, so, well, what causes the wind? I don't know. Meteorologists say it has something to do with the heat of the sun. But I think it has something to do with God, to be quite honest with you, because I believe this is my father's world. And he knows exactly what's going on and he knows exactly what he's doing. Toronto, I think, officially had a tornado. Isn't that right in the news? Anyone know, hear that or read that? It was something weird happened back there. Wind speaks of the power of God. And God has all power. Jesus said, all power is under heaven and earth is given unto me. That's why he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. All the power you could possibly think of is found in God himself. That's power to solve problems. That's power to get you through that meeting tomorrow you got with your boss. That's power to get you through this week. That's power to do the impossible. There is nothing that God cannot do. He is so powerful. You could imagine the greatest thoughts you could possibly imagine. That's only just the scum of the surface. God can do so much more than that. God is so powerful. He's all powerful. And he's so powerful that that's the best description we can give him. We call him the Almighty. Boy, we need to get to know the God who loves us. Amen? How well do you know God today? Every day should take you a step closer to God. Every day you should be with God alone, with your Bible and learning more about God and fellowshipping with God throughout the day. That's, that's what you need. If you're not getting it, you're missing out. And God is not holding himself back from you. We tend to get distracted with worldly things. Our jobs, school, family. Nothing wrong with jobs, school, and family. It's all good. But don't let them come in between you and God. I think that's the message. God is so good. Don't you wish you knew him better? Why don't you come on the invitation and say, God, I want to get to know you better. God, would you help me, please? And you know, he will help you as you help him by reading the Bible and praying daily. You have your part to do. Be in the church services. You know, you come to church, we're not going to skin you alive. We're not going to destroy you. We're going to build you up in the most holy faith. We want you to be a success out there. Because when you're a success, that brings honor and glory to God. That's what our job is about as a church is to bless the people so that the people can do the work of the ministry. And a large part of the work of the ministry is done in factories, it's done in office buildings and cubicles, it's done in schools, it's done in the home, it's done even out in the front yard, and that's letting our light shine. If you know Christ as your Savior, maybe you're a member of this church. 
If you're a member of this church, maybe you're a part of the Soul Winners University. When was the last time you wore your pin? To let someone say, hey, what's that pin all about? That gives you your opportunity to let your light shine. That's why we have Soul Winners University. That's why we've got a soul winning program of this church. Oh, please, why don't you come on the invitation and say, Lord, I want to draw close to you. I want to get to know you more. And maybe ask God to prepare your heart for the table of the Lord if you're going to stay and partake with us. Let's stand to our feet now.